0: On this episode of Kitchen Brain Podcast, I'm talking to Annette Whitley. Annette is a career hospitality professional with an extensive background at luxury resorts. Her husband, Mark, was a chef-turned-purchasing director, and the two of them traveled the world opening and working at several Four Seasons properties before joining the team at Congressional Country Club in Bethesda, Maryland, where Annette was the director of food and beverage, and Mark ran the purchasing department. Things took a tragic turn on Christmas Day in 2017 when Mark decided to take his own life. This interview is the first time that Annette is telling their story publicly, and she's doing it in hopes that it will help others who are or know someone who is struggling. I encourage anyone who works in the hospitality industry to listen to this episode in full and share it with someone that you think needs to hear it. If you have a family member or friend who is suicidal, don't leave them alone. Try to get the person to seek help immediately from an emergency room, physician, or mental health professional. Take seriously any comments about suicide or wishing to die, even if you do not believe your family member or friend will actually attempt suicide. The person is clearly in distress and can benefit from your help in receiving mental health treatment. You can also get immediate help by calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. The Lifeline provides 24-7 free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones, and best practices for professionals. Again, that's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. It's okay to not be okay. You may feel stuck or lost at times, but you are not alone. Thanks for listening. Kitchen Brain Hey everybody! Welcome to Kitchen Brain Podcast. I'm Mike Matarazzo, your host. Today I'm talking to Annette Whitley. Uh, Annette Whitley is a consultant and search executive for Copland, Keebler and Wallace. She also is a trainer for Four Seasons and other luxury hotels and resorts. And uh, you know, we have a, a kind of a different show today. You know, it's um, we're we're not speaking with a chef. Um, Kitchen Brain Podcast is all about, you know, bringing light to all aspects of the back of the house in in our industry. And sometimes we're speaking to chefs and and talking about their operation and the the inner workings of their leadership style and different trends with leadership in the kitchens and and just trying to bring light to that. But um, you know, there are there are other aspects of our industry that need to be addressed, and and mental health is one of them. And Annette has had um a really, a really huge career in the food and beverage industry and uh has also had to deal with some some pretty serious adversities and struggles in her own life uh that relate to the industry. So um she's gonna tell us her her story and um and I, I think it'll be helpful for a lot of people out there. So Annette, how are you today?
1: I'm doing good. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to tell my story and tell my late husband's story um in this format as well. It's uh, something I've wanted to do for a while and haven't um been able to or had the opportunity to yet until I met you <laughs> earlier this year in uh, Charlotte at the Chef to Chef conference.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh and and thanks for 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 doing this. I know this is this is not an easy thing, but Um, I I know after speaking to you in Charlotte that it's, it's an important thing for, for you to tell the story um, because you, you know, you know that it, it'll be helpful to a lot of people and uh, it takes, takes a lot of courage to do that. And um, I, I definitely appreciate it as I know a lot of other people will. Um, So uh, Mark, Mm -hmm. your husband, um, you guys, I I want you to kind of take us back um you know to to the early days when when you first met mark and kind of take us through both of your careers uh and and how they progressed together um and just kind of start out that way so we can we can get to know mark a little bit
1: yes yeah, so mark was uh always in the hospitality industry his whole career he uh, went to culinary school in um england and uh, he then joined the Ritz Hotel in London and uh, worked in all the different stations and um, ended up being a trenant in the kitchen there and uh, had some amazing stories from his time working at the Ritz Hotel in London and serving the yeah. queen. <laughs> all of wow. the antics that went on in a very old school kitchen where, you know, there was fighting and, you know, problems were worked out in the locker room and things that, you know, would horrify us now, but were, um, prevalent back in the day, um, in, in London. And he actually met, um, and was connected to a chef, um, Jeremy Emerson. Um, he was a long-term four season chef and, um, he's now kind of in the private sector as well, but still very much active in culinary and, uh, Mark met him and was connected to the Four Seasons in Palm Beach and went over to work there um, for a chef, Hubert Desmarais, who's still down in that South Florida market now. And um, he worked for Chef Hubert um, at the the Four Seasons um, in Palm Beach as a J-1, on a J-1 visa. Um, He then got the opportunity to go to the Four Seasons in Nevis in the West Indies. And he worked his way up to uh, sous chef at that property, um, which was then closed down by a hurricane, which allowed him wow. to go back to London and open the Four Seasons Canary Wharf and then back to Nevis again. And uh, then 9-11 happened and a lot of people had to really think about, you know, their roles and what they wanted to do, kind of a situation that we're in right now, where people are thinking about what they're doing in their careers. And he realized that uh, people were getting laid off left and right, because people weren't traveling after 9-11. And there was a position open to be the food purchaser for the island, um, for the resorts um, in Nevis. And so he moved into the purchasing world. And he got promoted to the assistant director of purchasing in back to the Palm Beach property, which is where he and I met. And the first time we met, um, I'm obviously English, he's English, but we joke we met outside of an Irish bar in Palm (laughs) Beach. (laughs) and so it took us to move both of us to move to florida before we met and uh we were both dating other people at the time and we became good friends and we used to go out all the time with our um the people we were dating and him and i would always just have the best banter we would laugh and laugh and make fun of each other and in the british the British humor came out. And so the people we were dating became ex people that we were dating and we ended up, um, getting together. And, um, the rest was history. After that, um, we were together for gosh, like almost 12 years and married for almost eight, eight and a half years. And, um, we moved to, we lived in uh, Palm beach. We opened the Westlake village four seasons together, uh, we uh, we went to Houston, Texas together. We were on the island of Lanai in Hawaii together, and um, then to Vale, Colorado together, all with Four Seasons. And uh, then, um, lastly, we ended up here in Bethesda, Maryland, when I got the food and beverage director position at Congressional Country Club, and uh, he was working you know, here and there for a little bit and saw what I was doing every day at congressional and how great the team was there. And he was like, I want to work there. So he was brought in as a consultant at congressional and, um, ended up taking the director of purchasing position there at congressional. And it's kind of where his career journey came full circle because we were going through some transitions in the kitchen and in the, um, uh, the leadership team. And he would often put his chef jacket back on and he'd be back in the kitchen, uh, working the line and expoing and, uh, running our house grill for us. Um, when we were, you know, short staffed and, uh, it was kind of full circle for him from being in purchasing, but then also being able to be on the line as well. And he loved working with the culinary team throughout his whole career in purchasing. So that's right. kind of his yeah. story, um, which, you know, where we're, talking here today had you know took a sad turn um you know mark decided you know he didn't want to be with us anymore and um he he did he took his life december 25th 2017 so when i tell people that there's never a great reaction um wow yeah what do you say right so you know mark michael he was kind of like he was a Bourdain character. That's the best way to describe him to people that don't know him. He was funny and sarcastic, and everybody loved to be around him, but he struggled with things that I don't think any of us really even comprehended.
0: Right. What What do, what do you mean exactly when you say a Bourdain character? Is that purely personality or...? What, what does that mean a
1: guy's guy right the person that we'd have a beer with that would be quick responses and witty and funny and the a type of person that you wouldn't think would ever be struggling the way he struggled i mean he had a he had a hard living past right he'd uh done the scene in london in the nightclubs and you know he'd definitely enjoyed his time in the West Indies and everything that goes along with that and um, when he came to the United States he you know we were drinkers we would drink a lot and you know you finish your shift and you go out and you drink and you party and then you wake up the next morning and it doesn't matter if you have a hangover or uh, you you get up and you suck it up and you do it all over again and um, <laughs> they reached a point in our lives, where I got healthy and I started. Run, I'm known to be a runner um, amongst all of my friends, and I I got into running and I got very into fitness and um, really focusing on health and well being and fitness and running marathons. and And Mark kind of never made that turn. Right, he he would always be still um, living that harder life and you know having a whiskey each night and 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 i think at a certain point he he tried to hide it but uh it just it never seemed to be a problem and i think because it was just so accepted in our industry that uh you know we we work hard and we play hard and you know that that isn't the way anymore and it, you know, it, it's changing, but how do we talk about that and how do we bring that to the front of people's consciousness that, you know, living that way isn't necessarily, you know, the way it needs to be in our industry?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's definitely an important message. Um, did, did Mark, was he and uh, a stressed person at all? Was he somebody known to, um, let the stress of the, of the kitchen or the industry get to him?
1: the interesting thing about Mark is he hid it so well. And I, I, I struggle with this because it's always the funny, confident person with the biggest smile that everybody thinks is fine. You know, oftentimes those are the people that I think we really need to look out for um, in leadership, as well as in our friend groups. It's, you know, if you're the person that everyone thinks is fine, no one really checks on you. And Uh, I think we all need to remind ourselves that everybody might be going through something. Uh, He would be stressed, but never outwardly. um, And never, he would never ask for help, right? He would not be comfortable asking for help. And in the last year of his life, um, his father passed away and it really had an impact on him. Uh, And he, he, I knew he was struggling, I didn't know how much he was struggling. And I, I mentioned one time that maybe he should go get some therapy or some grief counseling and, um, you know, talk about the loss. And you know, his response was what we hear so many people say today like, I'm not crazy, or I don't need help, or I don't need therapy, or why would I do that? And, um, I think we all need that,
0: <laughs> yeah
1: you know it's okay to go and speak to someone and one of my goals now in my life is to normalize that you know we go to the dentist we we go to the physician why wouldn't you go and speak to um a therapist or a counselor uh,
0: yeah absolutely it's it's funny cuz it's the probably the most fragile part of us uh is our minds and there you're right there is such a there's like this perception that that a chef needs to be invincible and isn't allowed to talk about, you know, how they feel and their struggles and things. Um, and and I'm just now at this stage uh, of my life learning how valuable it is to to talk about things that you're struggling with. You know, I always feel better when I get it out in the open. And I also notice that when I do that, uh, the people that are around me, they start to open up as well, you know? So I think the more we can, the more we can create this, uh, comfortability with the dialogue, the more people will accept it as something that's okay. Um, you know, my, one of my most influential mentors, Peter Timmons, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he decided to leave us, I guess, seven or eight years ago now and it was kind of the same thing. You know, anybody who knew him would say that this guy, he has everything. You know, I mean, he was doing really well in West Palm. He was at the Everglades Club and uh, had a great life and was was buying nice cars and always always witty and happy. And, um, you know, you just never know. And uh, I do think it's important that people realize that, it's okay to to speak up and talk about these things.
1: Yeah, it's okay to not be okay. And uh, it, it can be so shocking when you you think about someone like that. And Mark was the last person that anybody would have ever have thought would take his life. He, you know, he was ready. He was supposed to go to work that day. We were supposed to go to work together that day. Um, he'd cooked christmas dinner for us the next day and you know something clearly went horribly wrong that he didn't reach out to anybody or speak to anybody or um even you know give any indication that that was what was going on in his mind which is horrifying to me and just feels so hopeless because you think what could you have done um And it's changed my viewpoint on how I interact with everyone now because, you know, it it sounds cliche, but you never know what people are walking through. I mean, you can be that close to somebody and still don't truly know what's going on in their mind. And I remember a good friend of mine told me that uh, at the end of every day, when we look in the mirror, we are all alone in our own minds. And that's beautiful, but terrifying at the same time. Um, But I just think if we normalize talking about our struggles and we normalize talking about our emotions and our feelings and we get much more comfortable with that then we can all benefit I think there's so much in our industry that if you're vulnerable or you say I don't know or um, having a really bad day today you know just give me a moment I need to take a deep breath that it seemed that we're weak or we're not confident. And I think we need to turn vulnerability into a strength, not a weakness. I'd much rather walk into the kitchen and have a conversation with the chef where the chef says, you know, I'm just having a really tough day today. And this is what's going on. And I just need a moment and make that the norm than walk into the kitchen and, you know, have it come out in unhealthy ways, like through aggression or passive aggressiveness or you know, or no, no communication whatsoever. Right.
0: Now there wasn't any of that either. Like it, it wasn't, nothing was reflected in his behavior at work or he didn't deflect on his subordinates or anything like that. No,
1: he didn't. When he was, um, younger, probably. Yes. But in his, he would go quiet. Um, he got very, very quiet, um, when he was struggling and, uh, it would kind of stop communicating. he would go that direction um, or have a sense of i'm if he was struggling to make a change, it would um be hard for him to make a change, but really, it was everyone was in shock Michael like the whole club was in shock like it nobody saw it coming. Um, you know, looking back now, there were probably signs, but nothing that would have at that point in my life indicated that. And I think um, looking back now, the signs were, you know, the going quiet, the um, going into himself, the sense of why make this change, or it's not going to be possible to make this change, or what's the point of this change. He, he was always someone and was he would joke about well if i'm ever not here you need to know how to do this but he joked about it our whole marriage now if anyone said that to me now it would be a huge red flag um so i think just being just he wasn't comfortable ever really showing that weakness or going to get help or going to talk to anybody because that just wasn't the culture in which he grew up or the environment in which he grew his career or his life. And, Now I'm so far the other way. But even myself, I mean, my friends had to force me to go and get help. And my friends had to force me to go and speak to a counselor Mm -hmm. afterwards. You know, you feel guilty. You think, what could I have done? You know, what could I have said? What did I say? How could I have said it differently? Was there something I did? And I I had to go and get a lot of help to kind of work work through that, right? To realize that nothing I could do would ever change what happened. So... You know, and and Congressional brought in a crisis counsellor to the club afterwards and um, they, a lot of staff went to see the counsellor and um, that was really helpful for a lot of the team because we were all baffled. We just didn't see it coming at all. Um, But the way everyone rallied was, um, was really special.
0: Well, that's great. Yeah, it's good to have that support. I was going to ask because um, both of you were there at the same time, right? I, I couldn't imagine uh, the the temperature of the room at at congressional when that news came in. Um, you know, so many people that know both of you. Uh, it's nice to hear that they were supportive
1: unbelievable and i honestly will be eternally grateful to um the team at congressional jeffrey Creeple, the general manager and um betsy gregory who's the director of team member engagement i mean without the two of them i don't know how i would have continued um obviously it was um something that in your organization if you ever have to deal with how you handle something like that and how you communicate something like that um is extremely difficult and they did it with so much grace and so much kindness um, you know, bringing in a counselor, um, for the club employees. Um, they gave me all the time I needed and resources I needed to, um, you know, recover. They, they put my family up at the club, um, all of the clubs in the local area staffed congressional on the day of his funeral. So every employee could attend his funeral. Wow. Which when you think about that, oh my gosh, like
0: that's incredible. Yeah.
1: Um, and then moving forward from that, you know, we really looked at, you know, our, how we talk about mental health and how we talk about stress and how we um, approach those topics as an organization. And, um, you know, I was there every day as well. Afterwards, I went back to work and that was, I think, probably very difficult for the team because, you know, I'm grieving, they're grieving. I wasn't the same leader I was before wasn't able to lead in the same way that I was before, you know, I was irrevocably changed. Um, And it it was, it was tough for the team. I I don't think, you know, I definitely couldn't provide them with the leadership I needed to in the year after his passing. And so that's ultimately why I ended up um, leaving and uh, figuring out what I needed to do for the next step in my career. Um, how,
0: how long after did you wind up leaving Congressional?
1: Uh, I was there, you know, I I told you I'm a runner. Um, I was there about eight months after and uh, for about eight months. And when, when you run, you hit uh, mile 20, that's the wall and mile 20, kind of all of the energy and glycogen, everything in your liver kind of runs out. And if you don't, um, properly take care of yourself, that's when you crash. So I hit my mile 20 in October following, um, Mark's death. So I, uh, so like 10 months after he died and I really, um, fell apart and needed to get a lot of help myself. <laughs> and that's when I started going counseling every day. And, um, it was actually my therapist, that said to me, What if, um, what would you want to do um, if you could do anything? And um, she helped me to realize I couldn't walk into the club every day because it reminded me of him every day. It was just a constant, um, it was like PTSD, right? Walking past sure, every yep. single day and thinking about that every single day. And um, so that's how I ended up joining Copland, uh, Kiever and Wallace. I, I left Congressional and started my own LLC. So, um, well, my therapist um, said to me, well, what if you just quit your job and then you figure the rest out? So I did. I walked in and um, they knew it was coming. They knew I wasn't going to be able to keep working there. Um, And uh, I did. I took some time off and really got some help um, and took some time off to get through, first of all, the anger at him for what he did. And second of all, just the absolute sadness. I mean, it's like there's a hole ripped across your body, right? You're just torn apart and it still hurts every single day. Um, I bet. And then I thought, well, what should I do? And um, I said, well, I love training. I love learning and development. I love helping people. And now this happened and I feel like I'm in a position in my life where My compassion. I've never been a terribly compassionate person. (laughs) Um, I probably was, you know, suck it up. And I had to work the long shifts and do the long days and whatever, you know, it takes to get the job done earlier in my career. And now I'm very much like, just because I had to do that doesn't mean everyone else has to do it moving forward. And in fact, the up-and-coming generations aren't going to do that. So how can we do better, be better, and lead better in our industry? And so now I spend a lot of time more in the food and beverage world but uh, training leadership teams and working with um, clubs on putting great systems and standards into place. And I do a lot of teamwork training. And uh, I was just kind of doing my own thing with uh, um, the training and development piece and i have the connection with four seasons still and was doing some training with them i helped them with their openings and then coplin and, and wallace came up and said what are you doing and i told them what I was doing and they said, well, you need to do that in clubs even more than you need to do it anywhere else. So that's how I, um, joined the team, at uh, and they've been absolutely incredible. And, uh, so now I, I really just get to help people every day, but having the courage to leave a career and leave, um, you know, a lifestyle that you've had for many years to do something different. That was, that was my, um, big step into the unknown. Um, and, and I think about Mark every single day because I know that he would have been incredibly proud and excited for me in doing it. Um, and and I feel like I take him with me every single day and everywhere I go and what I'm doing and, you know, you never know when you're in a room full of people. I, I share my story when I go into a room. I don't necessarily say how Mark died, like right off the bat when I'm training, but I do let them know that I experience loss, especially when I'm talking about change. And um, you know, we can't always control what's happened to us, but we can control how we move forward from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was gonna ask you actually how your experience affects the way that you train teams now and, and you kind of answered it there, but um, I, I think it's really valuable. I think the people that you train are fortunate uh, to have somebody who's conscious of that. Cause there's certainly, and you know, there's certainly not enough of that kind of dialogue going on in, in training programs in our industry.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we bring, so much of ourselves into our workplace especially in our industry you know it is it's family you know we're working with each other so many hours but then we're working with each other in an environment where our members are family and they're having their marriages and baby shower i mean it's it's life that happens at clubs and sometimes the line gets really blurred between um how much of yourself do you take into your work? Um, And I think you have to take your whole self into your work because that's the business we're in. But I think some people are maybe scared to open up or talk about what's going on in their lives or truly say if they're struggling with something or is there a culture in which that's possible at their organization? And um, if not, could there be? And, you know, how do we get better at that within our organizations and for our teams and for our employees in saying, you know, we want all of you here, but all of you here means if, if you're going through something in your personal life or you're struggling with something, then how do we support you in that too, so that you can bring all of yourself into being the best you can be in your job as well.
0: Yeah. that And that's a real challenge too. I mean, being, especially being guest facing, and you know kind of knowing that you're not really allowed to be in a bad mood you know you have to have a smile all the time and you know you have to be happy whether you are or not and and i think that that kind of programs everybody to to not be open about the way they're feeling cuz they're not really afforded the ability to do that based on the the job description And I don't know, I don't know what the solution to that is. That's a, that's a tough one. What do you, what do you think? I mean, have you thought about ways that we can allow people to bring some of themselves and their emotion to work without affecting the guest experience?
1: So when I'm talking to people about this, I always say, of course we have to be on stage, right? You, whatever's going on in your personal life if you can't step onto the floor and have a wonderful smile on your face and be a normal, rational, functioning, kind, compassionate, graceful human being when you're dealing with the membership, then you shouldn't be stepping onto the floor. And I would much rather you come into my office and say, Annette, I'm having a day. I just cannot do it today. And I say, okay, do you need to go home? Do you need to take a mental health day? like, is there anything we can do? I'd rather that than you go out there and push it down so deep that you're going to affect yourself and or that it comes out in an unhealthy way with your co-workers or if it comes out in an unhealthy way with the uh, with the membership too. Um, but it comes down to culture, the culture of the uh, organization that we have to be okay um, saying that that's what our expectation is, right?
0: and and so, so, I'm sorry, yes, yeah, so or
1: being approachable. So you're the type of leader that your team can come to. And if you're having that kind of a day.
0: Yeah. So you're, uh, I mean, you're training for, uh, an enormous entity in the resort industry. There are going to be people from all walks of the industry listening to this podcast. And I can almost hear, uh, you know, the small restaurant owner, Uh, or somebody from a smaller operation listening to this and saying, well, you know, if, if we give them a mental health day today, then everybody's just going to pretend they need a mental health day every time they want a day off. How would you respond to that kind of a, of a rebuttal from an operator?
1: Yeah. And you know what, I hear that all the time. Um, And that's, it's accountability, right? It's it the person that is going to take advantage of it and is going to give you that as an excuse to not come to work. That's probably the not only not the only performance issue that they're having,
0: right? Right.
1: There's likely many other things going on in that performance (laughs) that just mean that that's the type of person they are that's going to take advantage of it but when somebody that never um has a performance issue or has very few performance issues or is a genuine person in your team you know the difference between the two right you know who are the people that are going to take advantage of situations like that and you know who are the ones that are really going to need it um and just you know You have to be compassionate and and people that take advantage of things, you do have to hold them accountable, which is what we all struggle to do in our world. But we have to do it, right? Because it makes everybody else so much stronger.
0: Yeah, for sure. You really should know that about your staff. And that's one of the points that I try to get across too is, you know, we spend so many hours together at work to not know a little bit about each other, you know, and, and I really try to, to bring home the fact that it's so helpful to lead your team more effectively if you know a bit about their lives and, and really get to know them on somewhat of a personal level. Uh, and then you don't have to worry about the character issue because you already have a pretty good idea of what this person's all about so i think that's that's also an important thing that uh, a lot of people are missing
1: yeah absolutely um you know what do they like to do um you know what is, what do they do outside of work you know what are the things that uh, make them tick right and uh you know i'll never forget when i first got to congressional um I was interviewing for my position and, uh, Jeffrey, the general manager found out that Mark liked to fish. And, uh, while we were meeting the team for the first time, when I was interviewing, he had Mark put together his fishing rod, um, and Mark was building and, um, putting line on a fishing rod for Jeffrey. And, you know, that's just the type of environment it is there, right? People really know and care about people and know what makes them tick and know, um, what they're into and find out about, uh, all of the different employees. And it's a special type of culture when you have that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is a great place to be. Um, so Annette, do you, do you blame the industry for, for Mark's would, for Mark's decision?
1: (sighs) That's a tough question. Um, you know, it's it is a tough question because I I don't think that anyone is exactly to blame. I just think that we, we middle aged middle aged men <laughs> with their bravado and their, their you know wanting to think that they have the answer to everything or wanting to think they need to be invincible. And I think he just he he was in a position where he made a really bad decision at a really, really bad time because he was just really freaking sad. And you know what? He, he effed up. He really did. Um, and I think if he would probably be the person to say, Oh my God, I don't want to work with a bunch of bleeding hearts. Right. He'd be the one that said, we got to suck it up and get on with it. Um, and I think, you know, the time in which he grew up in his career and the time and, and how we handle things and the hours and, um, you know, the stress and everything that we have in, in the industry it probably contributed to the fact that um, he just felt like if he was to say anything or really come out or really talk about um, some of the things he was struggling with, then that would be seen as weakness. Right, And that was so ingrained in him. And I'm sure there's people listening that are like, oh my goodness, I would never go get help or I'd never go, um, seek advice from anybody. Um, uh, but maybe we all should. And there are two people to my knowledge that have his, they, he potentially saved their lives. Um, and, and that's something that I try and focus on. I, I'm sure there's more people. Um, but two people that I know of that after he died looked in the mirror and said, oh, my goodness, some of the things that I'm thinking and some of the things that um, I'm doing are not healthy. And um, one of them um, left the hospitality industry and went and actually um, got some serious help And um, ended up going and working in a different industry, helping other people and realized that for their family, they needed to really get some help because they saw the aftermath of what was left behind and how awful it was. And that's the thing with a suicide is that it's, it rips so many people's lives apart and we have to be really careful with how, we glorify and or talk about someone after that because it it, it's very tricky right it's sad and it's tragic but it also we we'd hate to have someone think that someone was uh, glorified for doing it and then there's copycats it's a very tricky thing to deal with because there's lots of data out there that um if you know one suicide can cause others, but it can also save other people as well. And the second person realized that they were super stressed out and that they were, um, having not great thoughts and that they weren't being the best person at work or with their family. And, um, they actually went and then got some help and then they got, um, their whole family involved and really now they are actually able to talk about mental health in the organization they work for as well so uh, one thing that i do hold on to is that his death probably saved a couple of other people
0: wow well that's that's pretty significant um so this is this might be a tough one but i know that there are a couple of different types of people listening right now and you know, there are people who are going to listen to this and just like these two individuals that you just mentioned, maybe start to question themselves and their own happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I think there's also going to be some other people listening that, that are more in your shoes where they're the spouse or family member or friend of somebody that maybe after listening to this, they're starting to wonder, you know, how is this person? Um, If you, if you could go back to when Mark was still here, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what do you think, knowing what you know now, what do you think you would have said or done And when do you think, at what point do you think it would have clicked in your head, like, you know, or or would it? I mean, was it it just completely off the radar?
1: I would have made sure that he went and spoke to a therapist, hands down. And I wish every day I had forced him to go and get help and to go and speak to someone because I knew he was depressed and knew he was unhappy. Uh, you know, I knew he wasn't getting out of bed in the morning when he needed to, I knew he was tired. I knew he was sad, knew he was probably drinking too much. Um, I would have forced the issue to make him go and speak to somebody. Now, whether that would have ultimately have had any, I mean, you can't change anything at this point. Right. Um, but now, and when I'm interacting with people, uh, I am very open that like therapy is so good and you may go to a therapist that is not the right person for you, but keep going and speaking to a couple different people until you find the person that's your fit. Um, because you really, it's a relationship and in any relationship, um, you know, you're not going to just cause you dated someone one time doesn't mean you're going to end up married to them. So if you go and see a therapist, go see several until you find one that fits you well and someone that you trust and you can talk to that is a professional that can help you work through things and i wish i had forced the issue on that um and then second of all with um people that might be you know in my shoes and the supporters you know just check in with your friends check in with your coworkers, check in with your family um i, I really have made it a habit now to just send little texts to people or um, check in with my loved ones or co-workers or friends more often than I had before. Um, I'm very blessed that I have a wonderful group of friends in my local area here and that we all support each other and and we prop each other up but uh, we're very open with um, our feelings and, and I remind people all the time, you can be having a really good day and still have a moment where you don't feel happy, right? You can be happy and sad and anxious all at the same time. You know, if you look at my life, I I go out and I do things all the time. I'm always active. I'm always busy. But that doesn't mean that I don't have moments where I'm sad. And I think we all need to realize that our emotions are not so one dimensional, right?
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you spent some time in Hawaii yes. and, um, you mentioned in some of our dialogue back and forth, uh, a word mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that, that helps you and, and is pretty inspirational. Uh, why don't you tell us about that word?
1: Yeah. So when I worked in Hawaii, um, we would always when we started a new initiative we would say the word imua um whenever we went into a new project or you know an event we would say imua and imua means move forward with courage strength and a strong spirit and the hard thing is when when you lose somebody um and especially when you lose you know, a spouse or, you know, an unnatural, out of natural order loss. Um, you know, people, they want you to, I've had people that I've, you know, been on a date with and they've said to me like, I'll see you over your husband and I want to punch them. Oh, <laughs> and man. I want to punch them and say, I will never be over him. But that doesn't mean I won't move forward with him right so I carry him in my heart every day and I think about him every day and he was so funny and he was such a character and everybody loved him and I just I love telling stories about him I love like people telling me stories about him that I may not have heard before and I talk about him as if he is right I say my husband because he is my husband That doesn't mean I've ever moved on from what happens. It just means I move forward with it and I carry him with me every single day. Um, And I, I really love to carry his memory and um, share. There's people in my life um, that never met him, but they feel like they know him because I really love to share all of the amazing things he did and his sense of humor. And he was so kind to me um, and so compassionate to me. Um, and uh, hes he really was a great partner in life. And so I will always move forward with him. And the word emua is special to me because I think that we all have Tough things that happen in our lives and we all have bad days and when i'm training i say to people you know what it, it's okay you're gonna have a bad day how do you move forward from it how do you learn from it how do you grow from it how do you make sure that the next bad day you have is maybe different in a little way because you did learn and grow and um but we have to do that with courage right it's sometimes making a change of career it's sometimes leaving operations and my goodness Michael this has been the worst year to be a a a trainer
0: yes it has
1: (laughs) and I'm laughing and it's kind of that nervous oh my goodness I left my really secure wonderful job as a food and beverage director to go out and um, be a consultant and a trainer and, and do search and you know what I don't regret it for a second but this has been this has been an interesting year, right? Nobody's having um, big meetings or groups. So we've had to adapt and evolve and do zoom trainings and do socially distance trainings. And, uh, but you've got to have some courage, right? And you've got to have that strong spirit. So the Imur is courage, strength, and strong spirit while moving forward. Um, and I think about that every single day.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. I'm definitely going to take that with me. Um so Mark sounds like a guy who who loved life and you know loved teaching people uh and and I know he's proud to see what you're doing and 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 you know passing the message along and and helping others. So I I think that's great. You know when we met last I guess it was last year February in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: March in Charlotte. Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah. So we—that was right when COVID first made it to the U.S. It was. It was when nobody knew whether or not we should shake hands or not.
1: Yeah, we were (laughs) the first reported case in Charlotte was while we were at the conference.
0: Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. But I, when I was on stage, I spoke. I was primarily speaking about recruiting challenges, and I kind of segued into. Um, you know a, a bit about mental health, and I'm not a mental health expert, but uh, I know enough about our industry, uh, as a lot of people do, to know that we have some issues and some things that we could do better to to improve the mental health of our staff and ourselves. And you approached me at the end of that, and you didn't tell me the whole story about Mark, but you did tell me what happened. And you offered to help if, if I continued on this, uh, this kind of journey to spread this message, you offered to help. And then fast forward to a couple of months ago, I start, uh, advertising the podcast and be better culinary perspectives. And you reached out to me and, you know, brought that offer up again, um, so I know that you're motivated to, to really continue to get this message out and help people. Um, what's next? I mean, aside from what you're doing with Copland and Keebler in the four seasons, do you have plans of, you know, making this, uh, a a really big mission for yourself?
1: I do. And I haven't quite figured out what that looks like yet um it'll be three years this Christmas and I'm still figuring out how to make sense of what happened myself um I I think maybe I've not been as articulate as I wanted to be in some of this conversation because I really can't tell you why he did what he did which is what makes suicide so difficult right you don't have an answer you can't go back and ask them why or how or what happened in that moment so i'm still working through a lot of things on my with how i continue through each day um it's lonely man (laughs) when you lose your best friend it's lonely um so i'm working through that but what i do know is that i want to tell his story and it doesn't necessarily bring a lot of answers because it was sudden, it was unexpected. He was the last person you would think would do something like that. So I don't really have an answer that people can wrap up into a bow and go, ah, oh, that's why, which is what we all look for in life, right? We want to check a box and we want, we want explanations. And the thing with suicide and the thing with mental health issues is there isn't always an answer. There isn't always a why that we can explain. And that's really hard for us as humans. My goal, though, is to create an environment around myself and create an environment around when I go into an organization or when I'm working or when I'm with my friends, where if somebody's having a hard day or someone's having a rough time, that I'll listen or someone or I'll promote someone to listen, or I'll promote, you know, getting some professional health. I I want to get the message out that it's okay to not be okay, that we all struggle with things and life is hard, and that's fine, right? We don't have to have all the answers, and what you feel is what you feel. And that's why empathy is so important in our business, because you don't have to agree with what someone's feeling, but you do have to be able to put yourself in their place and understand
0: what they're feeling. Absolutely.
1: And, um, I teach a lot, um, about empathy, um, when I'm training, right. You know, if, if your coworker or if a member or somebody is, you know, acting in a certain way, you know, most of the time, if somebody's being really difficult, it's probably nothing to do with you. It's probably something going on in their lives that you don't even know. And when you're in a luxury environment and you realize that it actually makes it a lot easier to give great service and, and handle people and work with your coworkers. Um, so having empathy is something that I like to talk about and share, um, as I go about my day and, you know, I've, I've been writing, (laughs) um, I'm kind of, I'm writing as well. Um, I'd like to, um, write some more about this or, um, some maybe, uh, write Mark's story or um share more and I just feel like getting um the conversation started is where it begins because I'm sure there's more people out there um that are affected by this than we can even wrap our heads around and if we can save some people or support some people that have lost loved ones as well um and in that community then you know that's good too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know if the answer is, like you said, I, it's so hard to find an answer. But I, I do think that the awareness of conversations like this is is priceless. And, you know, just you telling the story and speaking about it, I think, is is huge for people to hear. And I know I would love to continue to uh, keep in touch and, and work with you um you know on this and i'm sure we can figure out some some creative ways to continue spreading the message together um if if someone if there was an operation out there whether it's a hotel or, or a restaurant or club that was looking to, to get in touch with you for your training services or consulting services, where would they go for that?
1: Oh, they would um, go on to the Copland Keebler and Wallace website or my email is annette at com.
0: Okay, great. And the Copland Kepler website is com, right?
1: kkandw.com and uh we really we have a lot of team building um and um services and things that we do that are very culture driven as well um and some wonderful people on our team that uh you know we're really focused on creating great work environments and as well as the search side of things as well and you know this has been a you know tougher subject to talk about um and if anybody wanted to reach out to me or send me an email or, um, you know, ask anything, I'm, I'm open to that too. Um, with regards to this topic or, or anything too. So I I just feel like I don't quite know how to help yet, but I want to help.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Well, that's great. Your strength is, is definitely an inspiration. Um, you know, a lot of us can't relate to what you went through, but, uh, we can certainly draw from your strength and courage through it. And I, I don't, I don't know if you'll ever understand how much it means to me and, and I'm sure everybody who's listening to have you share the story and, and, you know, use it as a way to help others. Um, so thank you. Thank you for doing that and taking the time and, um, you know, you're, you're going to keep going. I can, I can see that you're, you already conquered what Mount Everest yeah. and Mount Kilimanjaro <laughs> Yes. Uh, marathon. How many marathons have you run? I've
1: run five.
0: Five. five. <laughs> Mark, That's five more than I yeah, have.
1: Mark saw me cross the finish line of my first marathon. He was there. Oh, wow. And then uh, the last four have kind of been what keeps me getting up in the morning. <laughs>
0: Well, that's awesome. Um, well, keep doing what you're doing, Annette. And uh thank you again for, for taking the time and uh and talking to us on Kitchen Brain. And I'm sure I'm sure we'll be in touch soon, but uh stay well and enjoy the rest of twenty twenty. Yes. While it's here.
1: <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. I, I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely uh we'll talk soon stay well
1: we'll do thank you
0: okay take care if you have a family member or friend who is suicidal don't leave them alone try to get the person to seek help immediately from an emergency room physician or mental health professional take seriously any comments about suicide or wishing to die even if you do not believe your family member or friend will actually attempt suicide the person is clearly in distress and can benefit from your help in receiving mental health treatment. You can also get immediate help by calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. The Lifeline provides 24-7 free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones, and best practices for professionals. Again, that's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. It's okay to not be okay. You may feel stuck or lost at times, but you are not alone. Thanks for listening. Kitchen Brain.